Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. And we are in, for the first time ever, and I guess the last time ever, the first arc of season seven of The Clone Wars. <laughs> I mean, everything <laughs> happens once, so. Yeah. First time for everything. Mm-hmm. This week, we are covering The Clone Wars season seven, episodes five and six, Gone with a Trace and Deal or No Deal. So we started in the middle of season seven, which in our strict in-universe chronology makes sense. But the actual release order is, of course, in the, you know, start with season seven, episode one. So if you were holding out for watching the Chad Batch do Chad Batch things <laughs> soon. We regret to inform you. It hasn't happened yet. Fortune cookie of Gone with a Trace if there is no path before you, create your own. Unless you're hiking. In which case, stay on the trail, please. I mean, do what you feel is right. Park rangers work so hard. <laughs> okay, plot. Ahsoka's back. Ahsoka's back. feel like we need to put that out there. Mm-hmm. That happens. We do a long starting recap of what Ahsoka's been up to because, importantly, this is years and years and years in our universe after season six and after season five. Yeah, so season six finished up in, I believe, 2014, and then season seven came out in 2020. So that's six years, a a full Galactic Senate term has (laughs) elapsed. So we open the episode with Ahsoka traveling through Coruscant on her piece of crap speeder bike. She also looks older. She's wearing a very cute jumpsuit situation. Mm-hmm. Her montrals are longer. And she has a hat. And like cool uh, bracers on her forearms. Yeah, yeah. She she looks much less exposed to the elements. <laughs> There's no belly button to be found. Nope. So her speeder bike crashes her on level 1313, which is one of the lower levels of Coruscant. She skids to a halt right in front of a mechanic named Trace Martez, mm-hmm. who offers to do the repairs for her for a price. Mm-hmm. Money is very tight down on the lower levels, and Trace needs the cash, but Ahsoka doesn't have any cash. So she's in Trace's hangar doing her own fixes on the bike, and they learn a little bit about each other. Trace has a sister named Rafa. Trace herself is trying to fix up a nebula class freighter mm-hmm. so she and her sister can go out into space together but trace still seems kind of lonely and when ahsoka gets frustrated she ends up fixing the bike for free mm-hmm. then this skeezy landlord named pintu comes in with two tough guys mm-hmm. and demands the money that rafa the older sister was ostensibly going to pay him that day And they're wailing on Trace. And then Ahsoka goes to town on them. She disassembles them. She hands their butts back on a platter. Yeah. It's it's like watching Ip Man. Because she does it using Kung Fu. Yeah. And she just Kung Fu's these dudes. Like, one of them throws a punch and it's about to just take Trace's head clean off. And Ahsoka (laughs) stops it with her hand and everyone looks at her. The camera shot is just her hand stopping the fist. And you're like... My girl is back. Yeah. It's, it's great. great. <laughs> <laughs> when Ahsoka finishes, you know, turning their guts inside out, they go searching for Rafa. Mm-hmm. Rafa is deeply disreputable. So she's wearing a fur coat and she's a scammer fur coat. And she's robbing a laundromat, which is like that scene from Fight Club. <laughs> 
Oh my God, with Marla. Yeah, where Marla's like going through a laundromat and just like picking out good stuff. That is what she looks like and what she's doing. That is the vibe. I, the laundromat actually is her front for whatever shady business deal she's doing that day. Very much after Hondo Onaka's heart. Yeah. Very much in the vein of Cat Bane. A Twi'lek comes into the laundromat and says, Ah, Rafa Martez, you build the best droids in the business. Well, he's being, he's speaking in that criminal speak of, a friend of mine told me that a friend of yours could do something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the implication is like, you will repair these droids for me. Mm -hmm. And then Rafa is like, so Trace, do you feel like repairing some droids for me? So Ahsoka and Trace go into the back and they do some repairs on the droids. But as Ahsoka finishes hers, she puts the restraining bolt on and she realizes it is a very dangerous. It is a demolition droid with like weird programming that makes it extremely aggressive. Yeah. So it's a demolition droid that was called a type two binary load lifter. That is a actually just a rampaging crosswired monster like it does demolish things but it does it with a menace which it proceeds to do yeah trace forgot to put the restraining bolt on hers so it barrels out of the shop into the street it starts hulking out on coruscant it's like a it's like a 10 foot high king kong yeah exactly Ahsoka and Trace are chasing it through the city. In a forklift. In a forklift. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. That will be important momentarily. Trace jumps onto it while it's climbing a building. She's spider monkeying all over it. She's trying to hit the blue button that deactivates it. Which is, of course, on its face. She hits it. It freezes. And then it falls off the side of the building with Trace on its back. Mm -hmm. Ahsoka snatches it out of the air with her forklift, mm -hmm. which is just like Mach 2 reflexes on Ahsoka's part. She winches it to a pipe, and then it's still falling down the side of the building with Trace on it. Because the winch fails. And then she has to sneakily use the force to drag it back up, and this little Twi'lek baby is like, it's a Jedi, but obviously no one listens to babies, so it's fine. Mm -hmm. Everyone ends up okay, but Ahsoka really doesn't want Rafa to sell the droids back to the Twi'lek because they're dangerous. And Rafa does anyway. And Ahsoka basically decides to split. Yeah. Although Rafa did get paid double. So she did. That moves us directly into episode six Deal, no deal. Mistakes are valuable lessons often learned too late. So Trace and Ahsoka have been working on ships and Trace is like, how do you know so much about everything? And she's like, I went to an academy up on the upside. And she's like, what's the name of that academy? She's like, Skywalker Academy. Oh my God, I'm crying. And this whole arc, they've been talking deeply about the politics of like being at the underlevels and lack of opportunity and lack of hope and stuff. And Rafa continues being super sketchy when she comes in and says, I had a job. It fell through because I need a ship. And Trace is like, I have a ship. Why didn't you ask me first? It's like, well, I'm asking you now. Yeah. Rafa schemes very quickly. It has been basically 30 minutes since the close of the last episode. Yeah. And also Rafa gives it to Ahsoka because this whole time Rafa has been isolating out Trace and like, all we have is each other. We're sisters and we don't trust anyone outside the family. 
But they all climb aboard the ship. The Silver Angel. And they take off. It works. And they fly into a military lane because it turns out that this is Trace's first time flying where they get <laughs> yelled at by Admiral Ularen. And Anakin is there on the Star Destroyer that's like, Ularen's uh, like, I'm about to arrest these jerks. And Anakin's like, let him go. Yularen is like, I'll have your starship license for this. And Trace is like, wait, a license? <laughs> Do we need one of those? Oh they gosh. are disasters. They are. It's it's a hot mess of She's a throw. flying with the parking brake on and she's like, oh, that could have been bad. Yeah, because they jump to hyperspace and then they land on Kessel. Legendary for its corruption. And it's actually a beautiful planet. It's surprising because you're like, oh, yes, the the horrid spice mines of Kessel. And they're in this palace. It's in a jungle. They're meeting with this cool Twi'lek. And they're at a fancy royal dinner. And they don't get to meet the king, but they will if they're successful. And so all they need to do is move three containers of spice. And Ahsoka's like, hold up. Like, what are you using this spice for? Trace is basically losing it too because she keeps saying the fastest ship in the galaxy the fastest ship in the galaxy and it's becoming like really obvious that she is not ready for this they load up the spice into the ship and go to hyperspace and are headed to where they're delivering it to obadiah the pike planet with recently installed pike tater uh marg krim instead of long pike (laughs) yeah and Ahsoka is saying we have to do the right thing. We have to bring this to like a hospital to turn into. Because what she's saying is, first of all, unrefined spice can be used to make drugs, which Mm -hmm. is bad. Say no to drugs. And then secondly, the pikes are not good to do business with. They will take you for everything you have. Yes. And Rafa is like, we have to do this. We now are holding this spice. Like we have to come up with a plan. Trace is listening to mom and auntie fight and (laughs) panics. She gets overwhelmed. And she dumps the spice into hyperspace. And Ahsoka is like massaging her temples. And Uh she's like, okay, I'm dealing with two emotionally immature dum-dums. And we have zero options. They are panicking. Then we cut forward a bit. Ahsoka has explained to them the plan. And they're like, it's a stupid plan. It'll never work. But here's what the plan was. They're going to land on Obadiah. They're going to drop off the spice. And then when the pikes are like, we need to inspect the crates. They're going to be like, you don't need to inspect the crates later. That's how the plan went off. Ahsoka used a force trick to say, you don't need to inspect these. But... The rest of the pikes do inspect them. They're running off and Ralph is like, oh, you must have been hosed by Kessel. <laughs> they are flying off. They're surrounded by fighters. The tractor beam comes on and roll we, credits. <laughs> we end on a cliffhanger to end all cliffhangers. Yeah. Yeah. So join us next week <laughs> on the Martez sisters. But what a ride of like disreputability. Yes. I want to orient ourselves in season seven, first okay. and foremost. Um, I feel like the intro music has more oomph to it. Did you notice that? Yeah. yeah it's it brighter, but there's like a tuba action going like womp womp, but right before the fortune cookie. Womp womp. Sam does a much better tuba impersonation than I do. What's new pussycat? <laughs> yes. 
There's a new logo. Mm-hmm. There's a new intro song. And this is also the first Clone Wars season that is Disney approved for Disney princesses everywhere, written by Disney with Disney being run by Disney. Yeah, with Dave Filoni supervising. Oh, definitely. Yeah, but it's it's now Disney's show. And having been professionally through a couple acquisitions in my time, it's not the same, but it is the same. You know, it's the same type of thing. But there's definitely a much larger budget and quality. Although that may be six years of technology, but it is gorgeous. This is this would not be out of place in a movie theater. Yeah, it's crisp, it's clear, it's beautiful. The rigs are really expressive. They got Ashley Eckstein back for voice acting for Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. So there's some good stuff. Let's orient ourselves in the chronology. Okay. By the time Ahsoka is heading to Obadiah, mm-hmm. Anakin and Obi-Wan have probably already been there to search for sifo They have because now Marg Krim is in charge of the Pikes after Dooku killed Long Pike. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay. And then when Ahsoka passes Anakin's ship in the military transport lane, Anakin is stationed above Coruscant and there's some kind of military operation going on. Mm-hmm. So what I'm guessing, and I'll need you to confirm, is that the Jedi and the Republic have been listening to Yoda's conviction from the end of season six, where Mm -hmm. he's saying, we need to bring about a speedy end to the Clone Wars. Yeah. So going way back in our podcast, we talked about the phases of the Clone Wars, and there is the Outer Rim Sieges, which is when... There were a bunch of planets. The war was functionally won. They just needed to finish sieging down these planets. And so that's probably what's going on now. I think the only thing that we can do specifically to chronology is note that Admiral Yularen looks like hell. He is old looking. He's, he's, a, he's a little silver fox these days. And Anakin hasn't gotten a haircut in a couple months. He honestly kind of looks like he's been letting himself go. Like he looks beefy, like he's been hitting the gym, but also very shaggy in the hair situation. Yeah, his hair is much longer. And the point of that as a little spoiler here, is that these events are going on nigh concurrently with the events of episode three. Okay. And so we're trying to get Anakin to look like he does there, and he had long hair in that movie. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, it's the length that is occasionally unfashionable. Yes, there we go. Or timeless, depending on your point of view. (laughs) Occasionally timeless, there we go. Yeah. Do you want to talk about Ahsoka? Sure. What do you have to say about her? She's great. She's always great. She smiles a lot less this season. So, hmm. so this is kind of important, and it's important in like a meta-narrative sense. When season seven came out, you have the extremely action-packed fan service of the Chad Batch. And then you have this arc, and then you have the final arc, which is the plot. Yeah. And so this is the interlude. We're starting with the interlude. And the important part of it in retrospect is that Ahsoka is learning to be a citizen, learning to be a civilian as opposed to being a Jedi. Yeah. And as a result, her connection with the Force is like truncated, but more importantly, her connection with doing the right thing is now rudderless. And so she's doing the right thing as best as she can with no guidance. 
So let's rewind. Her connection to the Force is truncated because she's not practicing it all the time yeah. or because she's cut off from fellow Force users. Well, I don't imagine. So <laughs> I don't know if you can cut someone off from the Force. Yeah. In uh, the Knights of the Old Republic series, that is a thing which happened, but it actually didn't. So the Jedi Masters in the second game are like, yeah, we... we you were cut off from the force. You, the protagonist, were cut off from the force, but that's not actually something that we can do to you. So I don't know if you can actually cut someone off from the force, but what you can do is ask them politely to not use the force. And we see that with Ahsoka because there are multiple times up until that last moment on the forklift where she could have used the force to save things. Yeah. She was taking a back seat. And she was kind of letting everyone else do their things to not show off that she's a superpower. She's only helping when asked. Yeah, she does it over and over again. Mm -hmm. She's trying to hide the fact that she was trained by the Jedi. And she keeps being put in these situations where the Force would be really helpful. And she can't reveal herself because it's dangerous, Mm -hmm. but she needs to. And so when Trace asks her to step in when she's getting beat up, Ahsoka does some kung fu And when the demolition droid is falling off the side of the building, she hides herself behind the crowd and gently eases it up. Mm -hmm. But she's still not able to really blend in. No. And that, on the flip side, comes ahead with Rafa, because Rafa is the sharper of the two Martez sisters. And she's like, how do you know all this stuff about building ships about geopolitics about intergalactic criminals like how demolition do you, droids how do you know so much because it's really suspect that you do yeah i mean ahsoka was the advisor to a planet-wide rebellion at age 15 she ta'd a class on terrorism yeah she went to skywalker academy and now she has no credits and one janky speeder bike to her name god how is she feeding herself where is she getting credits like where was she going on her speeder bike inquiring minds want to know if ahsoka's okay i mean i think obviously not she is grieving she is mourning and she's become a tragic figure who doesn't have a plan yeah she's completely rudderless there is that little moment in the first episode when she steps out of trace's hangar and she just looks up into the sky at all the thousands of levels of coruscant above her and i just like i feel ya girl Mm -hmm. that is me these days just desperate for more quiet so i can get some clarity yeah and i imagine that if you were a jedi who like washes out for some reason or another like you just you're not that strong in the force then they'll have a job for you somewhere you know Mm -hmm. they'll they'll have you even if it's you know doing dishes they'll have a job for you that'll keep you to that jedi lifestyle which is a roof over your head clothes on your back and food in your belly maybe working in the archives maybe working in the hangar yeah yeah but if you are if you leave if you quit then you don't have that yeah. And that's, so Ahsoka has nothing, nothing to her name. It's interesting. Do you, am I making this up or is there a scene in Attack of the Clones where maybe it's a deleted scene where Jocasta New is bringing people through the archives and there are busts 
of the Jedi who have left. Mm -hmm. Count Dooku is one of the busts. Oh, no, I don't recall that. I think it's a deleted scene maybe that I watched when we did our Attack of the Clones episode. And I was just curious, do you have to be a full Jedi Knight for them to make a bust of you? Or is there a little bust of Ahsoka hanging out in the archives? No idea. I mean, that would be interesting for sure. Even just celebrating that someone left is is interesting. Yeah. It's it's such a tough situation for her though, because it it shows the difficulties on Coruscant. And that's something that Trace and Rafa talk about a lot. Oh yeah. Is how the war was started by the Jedi and because they're list the only thing they hear is third hand propaganda. Yeah, so they're talking about, oh, the upper levels of Coruscant where the Jedi run around starting wars and policing mm-hmm. everything. And they're like It doesn't matter what they're up to. They've forgotten about us anyway. But at the same time, there's this moment when, you know, the Martez sisters and Ahsoka land on Kessel. Yeah. And they're at the spice mine and they see the thousands and thousands of slaves who are running the spice mine. And Rafa is like, well, they can't be slaves. They must be local workers because the Republic wouldn't stand for it. Mm -hmm. And Ahsoka's like, yeah, you'd think they would, but they haven't. They haven't, and Ahsoka has seen that firsthand in the Zygerian arc. Yeah, when she was sold as a slave. Yeah, because she's aware that it exists in the galaxy and it's something that is like a delicate matter because she now understands that things aren't just in the shade of black and white through the war. She understands that there's like complexities and complications, but she's now become completely powerless. So the point of this arc is to show Ahsoka's intellectual and emotional journey as she has to deal with all that. Let's talk about some of the interpersonal dynamics we have going on. Okay, yeah. Let's start with Trace and Ahsoka. Trace and Ahsoka. I think that's... uh, We we first see Trace, and Ahsoka lands on her hangar bay and is like (laughs) hanging off of her bike and has to crawl back up. And Trace is like, terrible bike, bad crash, way to roll out of it alive. (laughs) If you want to repair some stuff, I'm happy to do it for you. For, for my a price. Yeah, everything in their relationship is so transactional in the beginning. And Trace doesn't actually believe that. Yeah, it totally by the... So I went to the end of the arc, and mm-hmm. then I went back and I looked at a couple of moments, and I realized it feels very play-acty mm-hmm. when everything, every line is about money or how... There's a price or what's it going to cost me? Mm-hmm. Everything has a price. And by the end of the arc going back, I realized this is probably something that she has picked up from Rafa. Yes. She's trying. She's on unfamiliar ground. Mm-hmm. So she's trying to emulate her big sister. Yeah. Yeah. I think so very much because that is the way Rafa interacts with everyone. Mm-hmm. And Trace is just a genuinely nice person who's under socialized. Which is why she sees Ahsoka and she's like, 
Friend. Hello, friend. Hello, new friend. <laughs> you are friend-shaped. You are my friend. Yeah. <laughs> and Ahsoka is not ready for that, but she also sees someone in need in Trace because Trace does need someone to protect her because she can tell that Trace is someone who is obviously in over her head down at that level, but is also obviously a gifted mechanic because she built her own ship out of spare parts. A whole, a whole functional, sh- a whole functional ship out of nothing but spare parts that she like worked for and salvaged, and, and stuff. it looks good. Yeah, and it flies, and it flies when you take the parking brake off. So it's a real, <laughs> yeah. That's that's extremely cool. It it's funny because they're so different, and yet Trace and Ahsoka are probably roughly the same age. Yeah, and. On the surface, you would think that Trace has lived a harder life. There's this kind of subtext that Rafa and Trace's parents either split up or died and Mm -hmm. left them on their own. And Ahsoka has lived this privileged life on the upper levels of Coruscant, above the clouds. But at the same time, being a Padawan has basically prepared Ahsoka for anything. Whereas living kind of on the streets, kind of in the hangar, scraping for things to get by, that street life has not prepared Trace to be functional in the world as well as Ahsoka has been prepared. Yeah. I also think Rafa has been overprotective of Trace Mm. in, Mm. in the way that she can be. She's protective of her in hiding what their plans are as a family. But Rafa also can't deal with the consequences of her actions, so they come down on Trace all the time. Trace is aware that they're in criminal debt, but can't do anything about it. Yeah. Rafa sucks. I wrote down sketchy and sketchily like 10 times in my notes because that's how she's acting over the top in this way of someone who is almost also play acting the role of a small time criminal. And she's trying to break into that because it's their only way out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rafa is just a classic bad older sister, like down to the shaved head and the fur coat vibe. Mm -hmm. She almost feels more like an irresponsible aunt than a sister. Yeah, yeah. She's definitely taken on this role of parenting and is not prepared for it. Yeah. And the only way she knows how to move forward is through... Not hard work, but through schemes and plans. Yeah. And so she has imposed that lifestyle on Trace. Trace is someone who works for a living, but Rafa is always trying to make things fit. And I don't know if that's an environmental response being there at a really sketchy level of Coruscant or not. Probably. There's just so much that I want to talk about with Rafa because there's so much that she's doing where I'm like, stop doing what you're doing. Well, yeah, but that's because like we go to therapy. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So there's that little moment at the end of the first episode, mm-hmm. Gone with the Trace, when they all meet up at the wharf after Rafa decides to sell these demolition droids back to the Twi'lek. Mm-hmm. And Trace is mad about it. And Ahsoka's mad about it. And Rafa hands Trace some credits. And she's like, I'll make it up to you. You can buy some new tools. Like, how great. And the way the camera is angled, Trace has to tilt her head to look at Rafa. And you see this big bruise on her face from where she got beat up because Rafa was late with the rent. Yep. 
Yep. Like talk about the consequences of your actions coming down on someone who should not have been involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, my friend Catherine got in a bike accident, just like fishtailed around a corner. She had a shiner like that on her face and it has taken a month to heal. Mm. Getting punched in the face is not to be taken lightly. No, no. That's uh, referenced earlier as well, because when Rafa comes back, she's like, what happened to your face? And Trace is like, your friend Pintu came by. And you weren't around. you weren't around. To fast talk him. Ahsoka even brings this up on the Silver Angel when they're fighting about the spice. And she, Rafa's like, well, I need to get us out of this situation. And Ahsoka's like, Trace is not part of this situation. You brought this down on her. She's not involved. Yeah. And that's why Rafa was trying to make this money to, you know, a different way. She was trying to do a spice run a different way without involving Trace. That's true. She does have this element of protectiveness about her, but she doesn't have any of the actual street smarts to be successful at being a criminal. Yeah, it's funny because she talks a really good game. She does. They land on Kessel. They're at King Yoruba's beautiful palace. Mm -hmm. And she just very confidently strides down the gangplank. And she's talking a good game. And she's, you know, acting very smooth. When they're loading back up onto the ship, Ahsoka stops Trace. And she's like, well, how many times has Rafa done this? Mm -hmm. And Trace is like, this is the first time. Yeah. So Rafa's like the duck that's very serene on the surface and then furiously (laughs) paddling underneath. Her little flippers are going. Yeah. Gosh, watching them get involved in this criminal element is really rough. It reminds me of when I watched The Wire a couple years back Hmm. and watching how people get into criminal enterprises like this Hmm. because you run out of options, you know? And then you're like, I guess I'll turn to selling drugs. Yeah. Because it is a way to make money in a hurry if you can do it properly. But if you screw up even once, you're hosed. Which is exactly what happened. They're out for 30,000 credits worth of unrefined spice. And that doesn't come easy. They can't just turn around and grab some more. Mm-mm. There's something you said, Sam, about... How Rafa is avoiding the hard work with schemes. Yeah. And there's there's an interaction I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. There's a moment when Trace spins around and confronts Rafa as they're loading the spice up into the Silver Angel. And she's like, you just focus on doing your job and I'll focus on doing mine. Mm-hmm. And Rafa says, kid, I got us a job. The rest is up to you. Mm. I'm sorry. Trace is 16 years old. Yeah. She is absolutely more immature and more inexperienced than Ahsoka. How is the success of this mission her responsibility? It's that devolution of responsibility because Rafa has these issues of control as Mm. well. She wants to control everything. She wants to control the way all these schemes go, which is why she's false fronting the whole time. But she doesn't have the skills To make up for it, she needs to pull in people. And this is what makes her uneasy is that she has overextended herself. Mm. If she could do this whole scheme herself, I think she'd be happier. Mm -hmm. But I don't think she has the wherewithal to even pilot a ship for a few hours because she's got this horrific nervous energy throughout her. Mm. And she's always slinking around. She talks with her hands a lot. She Mm -hmm. has this really aggressive body language. Yeah. 
which is probably the front that she's putting on is like minor, minor scammer Rafa Martez. Yeah. Yeah. It just reminded me yesterday we were talking to a friend of yours who Mm -hmm. has been a therapist for a million years. And she was telling us about how she has these really great, hard conversations with her son Mm -hmm. who's in his thirties. And she kept specifying but I have these hard conversations with him appropriately. Mm-hmm. I talk about hard things with him appropriately. And it kept blowing my mind until I realized, oh, that's a healthy understanding of how you should talk to your kids. Yeah. Not putting your baggage on them, not making them responsible for what's going on in your life. But also not protecting them because otherwise they'll find out and hold it. Like and have unrealistic expectations of it because that's what's happening with Trace. Trace is trusting her older sister to get her through these situations as Rafa is continually escalating the stakes because Rafa hasn't run into problems yet. Yeah, good point. Things are kind of coming out Rafa, except in this situation, she is Trace's legal guardian and all of the consequences for her irresponsible behavior keep coming down on her sister. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Rah. I don't Rah. have sisters. So, like, if you do at us, like, maybe this is totally normal and I'm just sheltered. I don't know. My uh, my sister is the responsible one in the family. But when my brother was very young, he couldn't lie. Mm. And my when he was, like, two, three, four... And my sister and I would pin everything on Sam. him. Everything, everything. That's and he terrible. would and he would just take it. And I realize now how terrible that was. Oh. But at the time it was like me learning to lie through him. And it goes to show, I think, how an older sibling can learn to lie in this uh, aggressively defensive manner to work with their younger sibling because the younger sibling is the one who you're like, I'll do anything to protect them except take responsibility for my own actions. And also you were probably eight and Rafa is like 18 to 20. So she's a little closer to having her prefrontal cortex growing in. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but they're down there in the under level of Coruscant with no sunlight, no um, support from the government. Like, the running water, the food is all sketchy. So they're really living at the bottom. And you said something earlier, which is that money, it runs everything down here, but there's not a lot of money. I'm like, yep, that's that's the trickle-down economics of Coruscant. That oh, all God. the money is at the top and none of it ever goes down. Yep. There's one last thing that I want to talk about, at least with the Martez sisters. Mm-hmm. I was watching some of Dave Filoni's commentary on this episode. And he said that he thinks the Martez sisters represent two possible sides of Ahsoka. Mm. Trace is the young, naive Ahsoka who hasn't learned about the world, doesn't have the cunning, doesn't really have the skills yet to deal with what's going on. Mm -hmm. Rafa is the dark, bitter, do whatever it takes to get the job done kind of Ahsoka who could become a possibility, who could become the real Ahsoka. Ooh, I like that a lot. I like it too, but I think Rafa actually reminds me more of Anakin. Well, that is Ahsoka's dark side. Right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Bitter, constantly skating on the edge of consequences. Very 
um, closed mind when it comes to trustworthiness, like only trusting a handful of people. Mm -hmm. And those people are not necessarily the ones you want to trust. Using trust as a weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Isolating yourselves, isolating the people around you. Mm -hmm. The Anakin Padme vibe in the Rush Clovis arc was very Rafa to me. Yeah, yeah, because it is a extremely toxic relationship that Rafa and Trace have. Yeah. Very toxic. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Rafa and Anakin, I think on the big scale, big picture, they're trying to do what they deem is the right thing. They're trying to protect the people they love and, you know, create better outcomes for them. But they're not necessarily doing good things on the small scale. Yeah. They're not doing good things every day. But they think they're working towards an ultimate good thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough to have dreams in a situation like that. It's tough to grow when you're sitting here for want of a sparker for your little ship or for your speeder bike and having to compromise on so many things. It's tough to have meaningful dreams and be able to work towards them when you're struggling. Mm-hmm. And that is what is going on with, with Rafa and Trace and now Ahsoka. Yeah, I think it's interesting. The Martez sisters are probably the two regular citizens of Coruscant that yeah. we've gotten to spend time with. Yeah. So we're seeing what it's like to try to scrape out your living in the lower levels of Coruscant. And they're doing better than most, right? Because they have the cho- the mechanic shop from their parents. And they have the laundromat front, which, yeah. you know, Rafa uses for whatever sketchy thing she's doing that day. Mm-hmm. And they have each other. Yeah, which is more than a lot of people in Coruscant do. It's more than Ahsoka has. Yeah. She yeah. only has herself. Yeah. And no credits and no hanger and no laundromat. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, this is a tough episode to watch, honestly. Yeah. And unfortunately, this whole arc, the Martez sisters arc, was kind of critically panned when it came out. Really? Yeah. Part of it is, um, you know, if you have women of color with funky hairdos in your arc, especially in like 2020, that was wokeness. And that was not what people wanted in their Star Wars. It's political. It's whatever. And the other part is it's a lull in the action because, as I said earlier, the Bad Batch arc is bonkers with action, and then the final arc is bonkers oh. with action. But as we've said so many times, it's nice to have a reprieve. It does, like, you can't just be sitting here in full action all the time. You can't live in the Transformers movie. You got to have, like, calm. And this isn't calm. This is a thriller, but it's this thriller at a very personal, not galaxy ending level. It's just, this is what it's a day in the life is like. And I think that's more important to understand if you want to actually tell the story, because the arcs of history, which bend around people like Anakin and Obi-Wan that are, you know, battles are decided on the fate of the galaxy is decided on doesn't actually deeply affect someone like the Martez sisters. Hmm. But no matter who we think we are, we're closer to the Martez sisters than Anakin and Obi-Wan. No, That's the absolutely. Life we live, yeah, you know? yeah. I'd love to have a mechanic shop. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm, I'm living a Soka style. I got a janky car and, <laughs> and a roof over my head. And no credit. Yeah, I don't even have a cool jumpsuit. So Man. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I 
it drives me crazy that there's those apps for movies in the mm-hmm. movie theater. And they're like, oh, the best time to go to the bathroom is during this like very emotional, quiet scene. Oh, my god! And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is the only time in your action movie where there's actual character development going on. Yeah. The last time I went to an action movie, I think it was the Bat- the new Batman movie. And everyone left during the scene of like the ultimate betrayal of the major characters because it was quiet in a Which darkened room over a hospital bed. so wild. I know. Like, you could absolutely miss the car chase. That probably would have been a better use yeah, of Yeah, totally. So. Like, these quiet interludes mm-hmm. are where you have the opportunity for characters to grow. There is a limited amount of character growth that can happen in an action scene. You can demonstrate that growth has happened, mm-hmm. but you can't really show the growth happening Unless you have quiet moments between characters where they have time to process and sort things out. Yeah. So these arcs are necessary, and I think they're the best part of the Clone Wars. I agree. Give me this. I love lightsaber duels, but give me this. Well, you're in luck because next week we're finishing up this arc, which is very exciting. And then we get Chad Batch. Chad Batch! And when we get to the Chad Batch show, it actually has some really nice pacing as well. Cool. So as far as pacing, this is nice. It's not plotting. Hmm. It's measured. Hmm. This arc is measured as we watch it. it. Everything is proceeding with a very nice pace to give us the correct level of tension for the action and the resolution and for the character development. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Before we get to Baywatch, there's mm-hmm. one more small thing that I want to talk about. What's up? Which is mostly just that there are some really interesting conversations and subtexts about how the Jedi are not present. They don't do anything for the average citizen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's there's also this you know interesting dynamic going on when Rafa and Trace are happy to disparage the Jedi and the Republic. But as soon as they land on Kessel, they're like... Well, the Republic wouldn't allow a slave mine. They would shut it down. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, it is funny how we do this with politicians and institutions. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's easy to badmouth individual political representatives. But when it comes to basic human dignities and rights, we still expect them to do the right thing. And Ahsoka is the voice of reason there with her measured thing of like the republic does all it can it just can't do much yeah i had a conversation a couple years ago with my parents and they were like why didn't congress do this and i'm like because they were filibustered do you you do you not know how the congress works like it's an incredibly complex thing yeah and it's a body made up of individuals who have their own agendas and are beholden to their interests yeah interest in them totally i thought it was interesting But I was more thinking the average citizen, even on Coruscant, has zero interaction with the Jedi. Yeah. And the Jedi are meant to be peacekeepers. So what would it look like if they were more present? I was trying to think about if the Jedi weren't so top-heavy or so distracted, or if they weren't embroiled in this war meant to keep them from doing what they're supposed to do, Mm -hmm. what would it look like? 
Well, we've seen the Jedi on Coruscant a few times, and unfortunately, it's not necessarily a positive interaction, right? They're uh, chasing the Zillow bees. They're chasing Zam Wessel. They're running after, ooh, um, in the Terra Sinube arc, some criminals. Yeah. Marcy and Ione. And then there was one other one where Plo Koon and Ahsoka head down and also start bar fights. Yep, 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 yep. So if you just were, you know, the voice of level 1313 across Coruscant, <laughs> if you had your own radio station, the police blotter would be like, Jedi start bar fight for the third time this month, you know? And that's like how you would put it. I think. More importantly, for what the Jedi should be doing, which, you know. Or could be doing. Yeah, could be doing. This is some real armchair quarterbacking here. (laughs) But but if the Jedi were involved at the level people think they are, as far as removing slavery, blocking illegal trade, they would be stopping criminal gangs from causing these problems. And if there wasn't a war on, there'd presumably be more money to spread around at these lower levels. So really, the war has ripped apart what's going on with the Jedi. And that's something that was talked about a lot earlier in season five. Mm. Obi-Wan is like, yeah, these criminal gangs wouldn't be involved if the war wasn't on because the Jedi would go in and that's where they have to actually do their work because they're so small in their enforcement capacity, but long on capability. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're a sharp pointed instrument to solve problems. Mm -hmm. But if you go to Obadiah and say, Hey, we're blockading you. They'd be like, you and what army? It's like, no, it's just me. I'm a Jedi. The the Pikes would be like, yeah, okay. We don't want trouble. Fine. Whatever. And that is what the Jedi would have been doing before this war. And I think that's their role in general is peacekeeping starts at that level. Of At the big things. galactic level. Yeah, especially when you only have a handful of people. Yeah, and so I can see why the Jedi don't see that they have been led astray, because in their mind, that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. On a big galactic level, they're trying to stop a war. Yep. But three years of war and a lot of deaths amongst the Jedi has led them to be a minuscule fraction of what they were before. Mm-hmm. And so... Even if the war were to stop, they'd be unable to move forward with that mission. And that mission is one of their most critical because Mm -hmm. otherwise the people lose faith in them. Yeah. It just makes me think sometimes that we have unrealistic expectations for people to keep us safe. Yeah. I mean, Coruscant is the center of the galaxy. It is a densely populated planet, but it's still just one planet. So mm-hmm. why is stopping a gang on Coruscant more important than stopping a gang on Felucia or Kashyyyk or I don't know? Isn't that the fun thing? At, at its core, and I'm making up an entire <laughs> intergalactic economy in my head. Yes, please extrapolate. Yes, I love it. Is that because Coruscant is where the money flows through. It is the shining jewel. There's other planets, but none of them have the political sway. Or they're intentionally apolitical, like Scipio, where the banking clan is. Yeah, but even Scipio is moving all of their money to Coruscant to be spent on things. Coruscant is the consumer economy. Mm. And so everything that is bought is bought on Coruscant or eventually moved through Coruscant. Mm. So 
fundamentally what the Galactic Republic has been doing is using the Jedi as their regulation against unfettered capitalism. They are using the Jedi to prevent themselves from falling into fascism Mm. by keeping criminal elements away from the core worlds. You also keep them from gaining power in the hinterlands because they just don't have enough money or backing to do anything there. All the heavy industry is is closer in. There's planets that make all the starships and all the weapons and everything. So by keeping that on the up and up, you prevent weapons spread. Hmm. Hopefully. Yeah. Okay. I can see how that's logical. Obviously, we know it doesn't really work for the Outer Rim because the Outer Rim... Tatooine mm-hmm. and Nalhada have always been outside of Coruscant's influence. That's why they're the Outer Rim. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I can see how that makes sense. It's um, it's tough to watch, Sam, because, you know, in a perfect world, I wouldn't know where we're going. Mm-hmm. But I know a little bit. And I know enough to know that we are headed towards the empire, the imperial rule, mm-hmm. which is fascism. Yeah. On its face. Yeah. Yeah. And that is what this centralized uh, quasi-command economy being run, but the rest of it's through capitalism, leads you to. Mm -hmm. Is when you have, as we saw in the banking clan arc, the direct government control of money, and then they spend it on military expenditures. They glorify the military. They hate peace. Mm -hmm. So they hate the Jedi. Mm -hmm. They are enforcing normal family units. And so they're getting rid of these clones or planning to, right? Because you have to have, and Jedi, because you want to have this nice growth thing. There's these, well, this isn't happening so much in the Star Wars universe, but I'll lead on towards like a specific moral code to follow that includes obedience and a patriarchal figure. Even the architecture and the aesthetics are just wiped clean of mm-hmm. any kind of like human or organic or comforting aesthetic, right? It's gray and flat and sleek and metal and empty and bare. Well, think of the uh, Ahsoka leaving the temple arc where she's running across that her military tribunal, yeah. yeah. and Well, the military tribunal, and she's running across that base in the rain. And yep. there's, there's enormous statues, but they're of stormtroopers. They're not of people. Yep. And so enormous statues of this heroic figure who's not really a person, who which places them above reproach. And you can make them into standing for whatever you want. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, fascism doesn't come overnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're watching this horrifying slow descent into it, and I'm just deeply uncomfortable. And so it's very cool seeing it from the ground. Yeah, that's true. And that's That's what this arc's all about. It's cool to humanize it. But speaking of this arc, who out of the three characters plus one binary (laughs) load lifter is on Baywatch? Are you saying it's time for Baywatch? Baywatch. It's time for Baywatch. Baywatch. you got okay obviously 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 it's gonna be ahsoka oh really okay i thought you're gonna do the binary load lifter (laughs) 
No, I did not choose the inordinately hostile droid as my bay. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. Like, why do they even install red light eyeballs? <laughs> for the th- for the the aesthetics, for the menace. Yeah. To be threatening, Sam. To be threatening. This this is important in some, droid some land. Some droid mechanics sitting there, and it's like I'm gonna make this one evil, and so they just <laughs> pull out the drawer marked evil, and they pull out red LEDs, and they install it behind the eyes, and that's all it takes. The one marked nice just has googly eyes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's Ahsoka. Yeah, because my baby's mostly grown up, and she's making her way, trying to. Be a civilian in a world that is not very kind to civilians. Mm -hmm. And even without anyone holding her to an ethical standard, she is still bringing all of her training and all of her moral understanding with her. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to do the next right thing in every situation. And she's trying to keep herself safe. And she's trying to keep other people safe. And I think she's just doing the best she possibly can all the time. Yeah. And that is really tiring. It is. It also leaves her somewhat exposed because she keeps acting as if everyone else is trying to do the right thing all the time too. And then being surprised and they're not. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I find myself surprised when I'm interacting with people and they're not trying to necessarily do the right thing. I'm surprised. So think about how Ahsoka feels when she grew up in an altruistic organization dedicated to keeping peace across the galaxy, how different this must feel for her. Mm -hmm. I do think she's being very uncompromising about the Kessel job. She's trying to point out other opportunities. Yeah, she's, she's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. She's like, we could drop off this unrefined spice on some medical planet where they can make it into actual medicine. And then Trace is like, Wait, but how will giving the spice to someone else fix the pike problem? And yeah. Ahsoka's like, well, it wouldn't. It was an it was an ethical debate, okay? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she hasn't figured that out yet. But she's on her way. She's on her way. And I think she's great. And I love her jumpsuit. It's a cool jumpsuit. She's my bae. Cool. How about you? I think I'm gonna go with Trace. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. This watch through. I don't know if Trace is under-socialized or perhaps not neurotypical, Mm -hmm. but the way that she panicked and freaked out a couple times Mm -hmm. and led to the spice being dropped out made me think of just someone who doesn't have the background and and has never had the structure necessary in their life. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's the way I used to act when I was a teenager, honestly. I got into a lot of trouble because I'd be like, here is a thing, do the thing, panic, yeah. and then consequences. Well, so she's great when she's on familiar ground. When Pintu yes. comes to beat her up, she's mm-hmm. basically got it under control. She's losing, yeah. but she's keeping her head. It's when she's in this unfamiliar situation presented with a side of Rafa that she's never seen quite so clearly before mm-hmm. that she gets really, really overwhelmed. She's yeah. like, wait, but you always have been protecting me as best you could. Mm -hmm. You've never willfully put me into this horrifying situation, but all of a sudden now I can't not see it. Yeah. So that's when she doesn't have the tools and skills to cope. Yep. And maybe she's also like actually 14. It's hard to tell her age. She's definitely a teenager. And I think what's important about that 
in this arc specifically is recognizing that it's three teen girls go on a deeply unsettling crime adventure. I know, right? And in that light, the fact that things go wrong is to be expected. There actually was that moment when they're they're walking down the gangplank onto Castle. And mm-hmm. I was like, wait, this is great, though. This is a team of three BIPOC women entrepreneurs. <laughs> and then you realize, oh, but wait, they're youths. <laughs> oh, and wait, they're criminals. <laughs> uh, they're entrepreneurs, but they're also, like, young. They're babies. And... And none of them have adult figures in their lives to even ask for help. No Plo Koons when you need them. Yeah. No Skywalker Academy. No. Very sad. So it's a it's a tough break. And I appreciate that at the end of this this half of the arc, right at the right when they're stuck in the tractor beam, Trace is resigned to the fate that awaits her. She's mm-hmm. like, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. She has actually learned her lesson. So I really felt that from when I was her age and in trouble with the cops. Oh, so that, that hit me. That's a good choice. Yeah. All right. Ahsoka and trace and none for Rafa Martez and none for the, uh, the binary load lifter bot. <laughs> Maybe next time. Yeah. <laughs> So next week, we're finishing up this arc. Yeah, we're watching season seven, episodes seven and eight, Dangerous Debt, and Together Again. And then we'll be a third done with season seven. So, Holy oh my moly. Gosh. Yeah. We're just skedaddling through. Man, back in like the depths of season three, this felt like it would take forever. But I thought we might never get here. And here we are. <laughs> Deeply exciting all around. Yeah. If you want more Skywalker, you can feel free to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you are welcome to become one of our patrons. Memberships start at $3 a month, and you get access to our weekly bonus content every Thursday, Spice Run. Spice Run. Also, Sam's Naval History Minute and other assorted goodies. There's lots of goodies. Leftovers. We do a lot of leftovers. And you can find us on growingupskywalker.com. And send this episode to someone who has an extremely toxic relationship with their siblings. Oh. <laughs> or send it to someone who is who has built the fastest car around. The fastest ship in the galaxy. <laughs> and we'll see you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.